welcome to the spring shut-in edition of Phil and Lisa Ruin the Movies, coming to you live from week number two of Sheltering in Place here in the sunny Bay Area, California. I am your host, Lisa Schmeiser. And peering through my beard, which has grown upward, Mm -hmm. uh, my crazy man, wild man beard, I'm Philip Michaels, I think. I think you are. The are you? Yeah. All right. I'm going to separate the hair now. Yes. Pull pull apart my beard. <gasps> it is him. Yay! Mm-hmm. So today we're going to discuss some of the things that we got to see way back in the before time, and some of the things we've been watching since. And we're also going to play a game called "Who Would You Knock Out of Oscar Contention." Mm-hmm. But first, Philip. Um, are there any trailers we would like to review, movies we'd like to ruin in advance of uh, everybody being forced to stay at home? Yeah, let's um, let's uh, assume that one day we'll be able to go to movies again and mm-hmm. learn and love and laugh. And let's assume people want to after this brave new world of being able to stream or rent movies anytime you want not have and to, have your own snacks. Not have to deal with people talking during the movie, not having to buy $8 popcorns. Not having to get babysitters. Exactly. Not to be crass and self-promotional, but I do have a new newsletter called So What? Who Cares? Mm-hmm. at tinyletter.com slash Elschmeiser. And in a recent edition of it, I calculated the cost for you and I to go see Death of Stalin in the theaters when it hit. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a three-figure sum once you factored in public transportation, tickets, a nice meal, and by nice meal, I mean a hamburger and a shared order of fries. At Burgermeister in Berkeley, which I'm not yes. even sure is still open. And a babysitter. So long story short, if I, I, can, I can't speak for anyone else, but If it were me and I were given the chance to rent a movie as opposed to having to, you know, spend three figures just to go see a movie... I know which one I'd pick. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a lovely newsletter, and you should subscribe. And I'm not just saying it because the person who uh, writes it is is next to me and, and, and would cut me if I dissuaded you from subscribing. No, it's, it was a, a salient point. And again, it, it just is um, – it really does not speak well to uh, going out to see the movies, mm. especially when – all our TVs are big now, and mm-hmm. uh, most people have really good uh, sound systems at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can shush people who are talking during the movie at your house, and mm-hmm. you can pause it to go pee instead of running out like a like a frantic hobo and hoping you don't yeah. miss out a good scene. Yeah, and and not, like we don't know your life no. or anything, but you know if you're shushing people, chances are that they know you and they won't take it as badly. Exactly. I mean, if you're shushing strangers in your house, you probably have a lot more complicated things going on than movies. <laughs> but anyhow, I want to go. See see a movie um mm-hmm. back in january yes. or early february mm-hmm. um uh in a theater because i wanted to see 1917 on it on the biggest screen possible because mm-hmm. uh harry uh, styles was in it was he i don't know no no i don't think he was oh no he was in he was in one of those like war he was, movies he was in dunkirk here oh, okay i'm missing wrong. i'm missing first a- off wrong movie uh-huh wrong war what yeah there are two world oh, wars that's right wait that's right okay what yeah. was the score Okay. So, and oh my God, you guys! The ice in Phillips uh, cocktail just, just exploded into my face and like landed, <laughs> nearly took out my eye. And this is how World War Three starts. Yes. So, um, no, Lisa, 1917. <laughs> Sorry. The clue is in the title as to which war that is taking place oh, in. Oh, this is true. Um, it's the Russian Revolution. No, it's um, it's World War One. <laughs> And um, uh, it's George, sexy Rasputin, George there, right? Mackay, who looks a lot like Harry Styles, not at all. Uh-huh. And um, some other poor, unfortunate citizen of the, the, the Queen. Uh-huh. Uh, they have to uh, 
plunge into no man's land and through enemy lines to get a message to call off a certain to be doomed attack. Uh. And it is uh, shot in one continuous take in the same way that rope is shot in one mm-hmm. continuous take. Every time you uh, that they're walking along and they pass and there's something in the foreground, you're all oh, there's the cut. Um, and, and you kind of wish you didn't go into the movie knowing that it was shot in one continuous take. Because, because now you're looking for the gap. You're looking, you no, know, you're looking for, okay, this is where they cut and reset. Cause it wasn't, there was the great joke from, um, the Knives Out guy, Ryan Johnson, uh-huh. about, no, they really did shoot in one continuous take. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch had to sit in a room for 10 days <laughs> while they had to keep resetting the shot. Um, so, so, I know it's a, it's a very good movie and I'm glad I saw it on the big screen. I thought it was going to win the best picture, not necessarily because it was the best picture, but because it's one of those. It, because it points out the benefits to actually going to the movies, mm-hmm. as opposed to staying home, watching your giant TV with people you presumably know, eating delicious snacks that aren't overpriced, and uh, not having to pay a babysitter. Mm-hmm. But I, I, one of the trailers that uh-huh. aired before this movie about how horrible World War One was, and, uh-huh. and the costs of war, and, and boy, war does not look fun. The the trailer that the um, movie theater decided to show it that was effectively a, screamed yes it is was a trailer <laughs> for uh, the Kingsman which is a, a prequel to the Kingsman movies um, <sighs> that starred uh, t- I don't know Tarmac Eberman Tartan Edge Whistle Tarragon Edge Whistle yes Tarragon Eggs Benedict yes. Tarragon Cumberbatch, no wait, um, and and Colin Firth, mm-hmm. uh, but this one has instead Ray Fiennes in the role of the uh, of the slummed actor uh, doing a paycheck. Well, I I think I figured out the formula because first you have Colin Colin Firth, and then you have Ray Fiennes. Oh, and- Colin Firth, not Colin Farrell. I've confused my Collins. Yeah, there, there's a lot. Colin of- Quinn is in this movie. What is the what is the collective noun for a group of Collins? Uh, well, is it a forelock of Collins? It would be a Boston Bruins fan of Collins. No, because you have a stammer of Hughes uh-huh. in honor of the great in honor of the great sure. Hugh Grant. Um, I think it's a forelock of Collins because they look like they would respectfully tug on the forelock in sure. the film. Anyway, this has so my theory is that you stick in somebody who's the aging Gen X sex symbol to make our generation feel better about aging by saying yes, but we're we're, we're getting them to be cool and know it ollie, mm-hmm. and then you have. Um, Tarantula eggs guy. Who's... <laughs> Tarantula eggs man. Loved him in Rocket Man. <laughs> you know, who's there to to take off his shirt and wax his chest for everybody who's under the age of 40. Yeah. Exactly. And maybe some of the people of the age of 40. We're not judging. And Matthew saying. Good is there. Oh, and, I like Matthew Good. Diajman Hansu. Yes, I also like him too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and I, oh, I saw, I saw the guy who played Baron Zemo in... Um, the Avengers movies. Uh, he's German. His face melts off with the... Daniel Bruhl. Thank you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Friend of the show, Daniel Bruhl. <laughs> My goodness. I, you know, I enjoy him greatly as an actor. He's very charismatic. Yes. And, and yet the first thing I ever saw him in was the movie about... Chris Hemsworth is your smiling driver. You and... saw him in Rush. Yes, thank Rush. you. No. And poor... It's the, Lisa, and it's the Lisa Schmeiser title game where yeah. you can't think of the title I and can't... you just make something up. 
It's true. It's mm-hmm. this is I have a peculiar blindness when it comes to names and I have a constellation of like related facts or traits about a person mm-hmm. or about a thing where I can tell you things like, Oh, it was a palace where Marie Antoinette lived and people stormed the people stormed it and it was originally a hunting lodge, but then some dude who had done a giant garden in the south of France was hard to build even bigger gardens and you'd be like, Do you mean Versailles? And I'd be like, mm-hmm. Yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. So the metal dealy for food digging. A like, spoon? Yes, a spoon. I was like a fork. Yes. <laughs> anyway, this trailer. Um, yes, let's talk about I the feel King's like, Man. Or... I feel like this trailer made me dumber and meaner just by looking at yeah. it. Yeah, and the per- the perfect double bill with 1917, really. So do you want to list your objections in order or shall I? Yeah, you go ahead. All right, number one, I'm getting really tired of the... Um, conceit they have in these movies that uh black men exist only to make everybody else look cool yes because you've had samuel l jackson doing it and now you've got jaman hansu um and look i get it it's a living it's exoticism and it sucks yeah um and in an age where you have bona fide leading men like john boyega i don't see why this has to be a movie where it's oh he's a prop to show that these guys are living in 1917 but they're cool with diversity so um number one Hate that. Number two, hate the recasting of Rasputin, as played by Reese Isfan, mm-hmm. as um as like some martial arts kung fu wielding badass, as opposed to um a dude who is effectively Anthony Robbins with a crucifix. <laughs> um, <laughs> number three, really hate the the steampunky thing they have going on, where in 1917, a time when you know people were still getting around to the radical idea that washing your hands and not throwing human waste in the streets might sp- slow the spread of disease Mm -hmm. these guys have all sorts of technology that either doesn't exist or isn't widely available yet and it's just and like no one boggles at this it's oh yes of course we have all this going on yeah it's a movie where uh ray fines has to explain how a parachute works to people and yet and yet yet they all have like these these automatic weapons that can uh, yeah that they've fashioned out of, like, uh, Jules Verne uh, blueprints. And I also feel like the reason they set this in 1917 was because they thought swords and gas masks would be cool. Yeah, well, because it, it, everyone yeah. can have uh, uh, crazy bug-out eyes. and It's uh, just, it's, um, well, it, the, 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 the oh, 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 I'll oh, take my oh, biggest oh, objection, yes, my biggest objection to it is you get the, the voiceover from Ray Fiennes, and he's like, we're the world's first independent intelligence agency. We don't answer to anyone. While governments figure out what to do, we take action. And I'm like, really? That- really? This message of unaccountable vigilantism is exactly what you think the world needs in 2020? You're going to valorize this as right and necessary for the good of the world? I'd repeat what, what the actual heck? I'd repeat what you actually screamed out as we watched that trailer, but then we'd have an explicit tag on our on yeah. our podcast in iTunes, and no one wants that. No, I, I, fi- I find just the whole premise, we're not accountable to anyone, but we're gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And ca- uh, it was, oh, you know, reputation is what others see, but character is what you have. Well, the character of this is rotten all the way through. Yeah, well. And the reputation is entirely too good. Well, the, I, on the matter of reputation, Matthew Vaughn movies are uh, uh, uniformly have just a... a a gross view of, of yeah. the world and what it is to be a man. Well, this is the th- and, this and- is the movie that ends with, oh, look at this. He saved the world. So now it's time for him to sodomize royalty because that's what's owed to him. That would be the first movie. Yeah. We have not seen a sneak preview of the, 
the upcoming movie. Which... God only knows what they're going to do. It's going to involve like farm animals in a circus. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, how do you keep them on the farm after they've seen Paris? Yeah. Um, anyhow, uh, that's The King's Man now coming to theaters near in September. You in September. Originally a... was going to be a, a spring release, but uh, we don't release movies anymore. Well, we 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 will eventually yes. someday. So um, uh, so so that's, between, the, that's yeah. the trailer we saw. In between our last <laughs> recording, the the uh, Oscars have come and gone. This is true. We kept threatening to record an Oscars telecast, and then we never did. In part because I think we we saw the Irishman, uh-huh. and I saw nineteen seventeen. Well, I saw the Irishman, and that kind of excre- exceeded my allotted screen time for all of January twenty twenty. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm not sure that we saw any of the other uh, nominated pictures. No. Well, well, because again, it co- it's expensive to it's go to the movies. It's expensive to go to the movies, and, and they're all going to come. World streaming. They're all going to come to streaming service. And yeah. as much as I, I look forward to watching Little Women, I do not mm-hmm. feel that it will be diminished by me watching it on my, on my I fairly large it. TV yeah. as opposed to in a in a movie theater. So this is not to denigrate the beloved Louisa May Alcott classic novel, which I have and have read several times. Mm-hmm. Or the movie, but anytime anyone says Little Women, I automatically like go into a Roy Orbison mode. <laughs> Little Women walking down the street. <laughs> See, I always um, go to like British street urchin. Little women. Little women. <laughs> oh, you little women. Call. Bless your heart, little you women. Little women. Yeah. I'm all, I was also. Um, and this is unfair to, to to Greta Gerwig's movie, which I understand is a very good adaptation. Yeah. I am off put from the 1930s version with uh, Catherine Hepburn, which was a movie made when they were still trying to figure out how to make movies. It's exceedingly stagey. It's very stagey and the sound is weird. Yeah. And there's strange close-ups on people after lines think, where they go, mm. I think we talked about Little Women on a previous I'm sure podcast. That we have because, because I think I went off about how awful Professor Bear is. Yes. And how the only thing I admire about that plot line is that Louisa May Alcock kicked it into high gear owing to sheer perversity. Yeah. And I can admire a person who who spite wrecks something. Mm-hmm. Um, also, fun fact, um, I recently learned that William Shatner plays Professor Bear in the TV adaptation of Little Women from the late 1970s. Are you kidding me? No, it's on YouTube. Who else is in that cast? Eve Plum. Wow! And um, Susan Day. The littlest women. Well, Eve, <laughs> Eve Plum plays Beth and dies, and I feel like it's kind of in her career trajectory where first she plays Jan Brady, and then she plays Beth. <laughs> And I believe Susan Day plays Joe because mm-hmm. everyone thinks. And I, does the movie end with her getting in the Partridge Family bus with her manuscript? Yes, because it's a it's a it's, it's also a time machine. <laughs> David Partridge is driving. <laughs> I'm imagining Shatner. Oh, all of you are by Little Women. <laughs> I feel like there should be a rule that you have to make and remake. Some of us have both pride and prejudice. I realize that's a different novelist, but yeah. I'm... Yeah, different country. Yeah, maybe. different. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love you, Jane Eyre. <laughs> you could go through all I of could, them. I could go through all of them. Yeah. Sense and sensibility. Yes. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> you sure you don't want to do uh Wuthering? Yeah. There we go. Heights. <laughs> Are you done? I am. Okay. I, I truly am done. So the idea I was... Tess of the... Oh, my God. Is. <laughs> Don't look back in anger. 
Thomas Hardy. Okay, I, I I'm done. Honest engine. I, I feel like, I feel like my joke about using Star Trek casts to remake Little Women has been lost to me. Uh, just having yeah. William Shatner read just, novels written largely by women or uh, people that I think uh, might have been. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't I think you might be confusing Thomas Hardy with George Sands. Yes, I am. Phil <laughs> oh, and Lisa ruin the Western canon. Uh, this is up next. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So while we have been shut and well, okay, do we want to play the Oscars game? Yeah, now? yeah, yeah. Okay, so so the idea behind this, mm-hmm. one of the things that always um, irritates me about post-Oscar nomination coverage, mm-hmm. there's the inevitable, oh, so and so got snubbed, or so and so, this person should have been nominated, and what no one ever does. Mm-hmm is do the um, uh, logical conclusion to that, which is, okay, so who shouldn't have gotten the nomination? Yeah. Which, for instance, I think Greta Gerwig, uh, based on what I've heard about Little Women uh, and Mm -hmm. making the fresh adaptation of this uh, uh, very old book that Mm -hmm. still feels fresh and relevant to our times, I think she probably should have gotten a Best Director nomination. And I'll tell you right now, I don't think Johnny Joker should have gotten nominated for Best Director for directing... uh, joker yeah. uh so there I, this this there's a movie podcast i listen to uh-huh. um and last year the guest host just rattled off all these people that got snubbed for best director fine Who you and, take and, out and, of- and she literally if she if she had her way there would have been 15 people nominated for best director mm-hmm. and no they nominate five mm-hmm. they nominate five people so I'll, I'll do another one um, uh, and steal all of your answers. For Best Actress, maybe uh, Charlize Theron, lovely actress. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't nominate her for Bombshell. Maybe nominate uh, uh, from uh, Us. Uh-huh. The, um, oh, Lupita like, Nyong'o? Lupita Nyong'o. Nominate her instead. What I so like is that a... you actually did like a hand gesture indicating her hairstyle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you think I'm the one who, who doesn't well, know names, no. but yeah. You, you come up with crazy titles for things. Uh-huh. I, I just do gestures. You, you do interpretive dances. Yes. Uh, so yeah, she We're had to play... We're video she, streaming at some point. She had to play two parts in Us. Uh-huh. Uh, two very different parts. To me, maybe not someone for for best actor so yeah, that apparently she knocked it out of the park um yeah, I've so, only ever... so that would so that would be my mm-hmm. my answer to hey if you're gonna say who was snubbed say who whose yeah. nomination you take away mm-hmm. that's my plea to you yeah. for next year's oscar ceremony because it's too late for me now yeah so um i don't think we should do the year 2020 okay. because as i just have be- well because here's the thing is we can't mm-hmm. be like Oh, we didn't see a lot of movies. Now let's say what deserved a nomination. Right. Um, what we can do is go back to the before time mm-hmm. when you and I were uh, still going to the theater regularly. Footloose and fancy free. And um, we could go, we could cast back. And this also lets us play our second favorite game, which is which awards have held up. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm going to propose, Philip, is that we hurtle back in time yes. to the year 2000, uh-huh. um, back when everyone was actually rooting for Kevin Spacey to win awards, <laughs> and we look at the 2000 Oscars, which reflect the 1999 film offerings. Okay, well, vamp for a second while I quietly. I have fight. the Oscar nominations already oh, pulled up. Okay, and I have 1999 movies already pulled up for okay, us too. Okay. Um, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to encourage everybody to remember that in the year 2000, American Beauty won your best picture over The Cider House Rules, The Green Mile, The Insider, and The Sixth. And Sense. this was back when they restricted best uh, picture nominees to just five, five people. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, whereas now it's like ten, you can do as many as ten. Yes. Um, and while arguably things like Star Wars Episode One should not have been recognized no. as, as, as award winning, um, perhaps The Matrix, uh, a, a movie that you've often championed, yes, should have been recognized for more than just the technical awards for yeah. the uh, uh, way that it. Uh, 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 the way that it incorporates and simultaneously incorporates and subverts a lot of genres and tropes mm -hmm. all at the same time, because the matrix is at its heart, a Kung Fu origin story movie, but they also managed to, you know, roll in some sci-fi dystopia. They managed to roll in um, some noirish mystery elements and betrayal. And you could make the argument that without the direction, I mean, you can have a bunch of SFX in a movie, but without a decent sense of visual direction or overall direction, it doesn't matter. Um, and sometimes it f falls flat and sometimes it doesn't. I'm also thinking about the Wachowski speed racer where the clear lack of a story is what really hurts that movie. Right. Because again, that one's visually stunning, but you, you watch it and you're like, I, I feel like I've just had a lot of cough syrup. Anyway. Um, you know what movie came out that year? Probably not the best movie of the year, but Office Space. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a good one. Mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I'm rapidly thumbing through movies that came out in uh, the year, uh, 1999. Election, which was... People, a yeah. lot of people like it. Well, I think there's one called there's one called Hideous Kinky that I really like. Okay. Um, where it's Kate Winslet. So Kate Winslet did really interesting things after Titanic, and by really interesting, she like went off and made a bunch of movies that were not commercially successful, but rather more artistically fulfilling. And two of my favorites are Smoke, which is where she plays a young Australian woman who's has entered a cult and is being deprogrammed by Harvey Keitel. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, he. This is when Harvey Keitel was like closing out his "You have to see my uh, Schwanstucker in every movie" phase. <laughs> and she also made a movie called Hideous Kinky, which is about a vastly irresponsible hippie mom who falls in um, with a Southeast Asian guru in a Southeast Asian country. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but the point is, in both of these movies, she's not afraid to play somebody who's unlikable and stubborn and willful. And it being Kate Winslet, like she gives 110% and it's, and they're marvelously charismatic performances. Anyway, I think she should have gotten a nod for Hideous Kinky. I don't believe she did. No. Uh, Bowfinger came out that year. That was a very good, good movie. Comedy. Yeah. The Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland. No. Uh, I both, don't see why Three things. Kings didn't get Three more. Kings was a very good movie. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Uh, Fight Club came out that year. Yeah, well. You know, I, I used to drink at a bar that was used in Fight Club. Yes, I've been there, too. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're Oh, again... being John, Mal John Malkovich. So yes. Here, so here's... That, got, that got a few Oscar nominations. Okay, which ones did it get? I will uh, switch tabs. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it got nominated for director Spike yeah. Jones. Yeah, it's and uh, uh, I believe a couple of uh, the, the best supporting, supporting Catherine. Actor. Yeah, Catherine Keener got that for mm -hmm. best supporting actress. Yeah, um, but that's about it. And I think it might have got screenplay. Yeah, no, because oh, we know it lost to both American Beauty. It lost to American Beauty. Everything rights loses to American Beauty. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so anyhow, I would have worked in. Uh, um, I would have actually. I I would make the case that Eddie Murphy, mm -hmm. both al fingers, also should. snubbed this year for uh, uh, Dolomite. Yeah, uh, probably could have squeezed out Haley Joel Osment for uh, best supporting actor for Bullfinger. Yeah, I I think you could probably also take a aim at Michael Caine because 
at, at this point, Michael Caine gets the nods because everyone's like, oh, he's Michael Caine. Oh, look, it's Michael Caine. He won that year, too. I know. Well, it's like the year that uh, Dame Judi Dench, or as our daughter has taken to calling Jane, her. Jane Judi Dench. Jane Judi Dench, yes. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, like the year Judi Dench won for her eight minutes of screen time as Elizabeth won in Shakespeare in Love, mm-hmm. where she got that basically for walking on and being like, Everyone, I'm Judy Dench and, wa- and walking off again. Award, please. Yes. <laughs> Statue, please. Mm-hmm. So that was it. So, yeah, um, we like to play this game. Uh, for those of you who play along in Slack, in the member Slack or on the member Facebook page or even live on Twitter where all the peasants can see you, mm-hmm. um, you are welcome to give us your nominees for any year where you can make the argument if you're going to knock someone out of the Oscar to include somebody else, who's in, who's out? We want to hear your picks. Um, Keep vamping because there's one I want to bring up. <laughs> of course. We um, might actually. Uh, is this is this the year that Goodfellas. Uh, this was the year that Goodfellas lost to uh, Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Uh, but I would argue that my other favorite movie of all uh-huh. time came out that year, Miller's Crossing. And it should have knocked I, out Godfather 3. I, I would argue that much better than Godfather 3, Awakenings, and Ghost, which were the yeah. other three nominees for Best yeah. Picture, I would definitely uh, put uh, uh, Miller's Crossing ahead of any of those. And I would say that the Coen brothers did a better job than Francis Ford Coppola. So, And that's it. And, and actually, Kevin Costner, because Dances with Wolves is... No, if I put that movie in front of you uh-huh. and put, like, any other movie in front of you and said, which <laughs> one do you want to watch? You would pick the other movie. Any other movie. You are yeah. not going to watch Dances with Wolves. And yet that was the best picture of that year. So here's the thing, mm-hmm. is I think in the right slash limited roles, Kevin Costner is great. He's very good in, in like, basically as washed up sports hero. Yeah. Uh, you like him in that one movie with uh, Joan Allen. Yes, Joan Allen and her Upside four of lo- anger. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Joan Allen and her four lovely daughters. Is yes. That what I think about Why am I asking you to produce a title for the movie? Earlier in the podcast, Mike we, Binder we, writes in <laughs> we've established that as your one weakness as a, as a <laughs> superhero. Uh, I like so, how you say hero, and I'm like, supervillain. Yes. Uh, but uh, Tin Cup, he's good in. Yeah. He's good in Bull Durham. He's good. Yeah. Untouchables, he's He's, he's quite good and yeah. even though that's um... well i think that kevin Co- i think that kevin costner's wheelhouse as an actor mm-hmm. is um tarnished icon if that makes sense yes like very you, much so. like the whole point to kevin costner is that you never see him at the top of his game you see somebody who knows that he slid down and is learning how to deal with that yes like that is his strength as an actor and that's what i like to see him doing mm-hmm. um this is also why he's so terrible in both Waterworld and the postman because both of those movies, well, or, or Robin Hood. Yeah, is all three of those movies show him on a heroic upswing, and like you just don't buy it. Like you no. viscerally don't buy it. Um, I love the work that casting agents do, and there's that fantastic documentary that I can't remember right now. But I mean, if I had to title it, be all my famous friends tell me I'm great because, <laughs> well, because it because it's it's the documentary is literally all of these famous people talking about how much they love casting agents. So. Mm-hmm. But over the course of that documentary, one of the things that I came to understand is although as human beings, we like to pride ourselves on having discernment and judgment and not being shallow and and typecasting people by appearance, like the truth is in movies, that is exactly what you do. Yeah. Like, it's the reason when I saw Three Musketeers and Oliver Platt lumbers out as the third musketeer, I'm like, what the? 
what the what? How does how does he even know Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland? And you and you like Oliver Platt? I really do. I think he's a fantastic actor. Yeah. I just think that if you're going to have Charlie Sheen as one of the three Musketeers, you kind of need to have another uh, sleazy ab having dude to go with him. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. So typecasting so, matters. Speaking of. Basing uh, things on appearances, I implore the readers to go to the Wikipedia page for the uh, uh, 63rd Academy Awards and stare at that picture of Jeremy Irons as I've been looking at. He contains multitudes. And see, in that picture that's currently on Wikipedia, I, you know, someone who listens to this is going to have like a Wikipedia ad, uh, account and spite edited after this. Yeah, exactly. And I will applaud you because we've already established how much I enjoy works of art that are based in spite. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, Jeremy Irons looks like a professor in a humanities department who is literally one grad student away from getting fired <laughs> for sexual harassment. Yes. I mean, I think that's a good description. Yeah. Oh, God. I can, I can, I can, I can see the open office door and the Women's Whisper Network from here. Ooh. So, anyhow, that's our Oscar game. Yeah. We play it all the time. Um, it's fun to play at home. And if we ever are back to a world where we have Oscar parties, maybe instead of doing Oscar ballots, like people usually do at Oscar parties, do like Oscar death matches. Like, who would you, who would you kill? <laughs> um, <laughs> It's it's M, it's MFK like, without the M and the Fing. <laughs> I was like MK Fisher, the cookbook author, and then realized what you no. were doing. <laughs> Again, trying to ex- avoid yeah, the explicit tag. I, I, well, I can hear Snell sighing from here. Oh, <laughs> well, you marry Adam Driver. <laughs> you would actually. Yeah, you would. He seems like he. Though could. apparently not if you're Scarlett Johansson. Zing. Divorce story, marriage story joke. He's in a movie. um, Yeah. And he's I, in many movies, no. Lisa. He made like 20 movies <laughs> last year. No, and this is another where I can't remember the name, except that he's best friends with Daniel Radcliffe in the movie. Okay. And there's like one Go scene on. where, well, there's like one scene where they're walking down the street together and it, it is like looking at Big Bird walking next to a child on Sesame Street. I love that <laughs> scene so much. In fact, the movie was Big Bird the movie. <laughs> no. It was a conceptual but thing that, where Adam Driver, I'm Big Bird. Yes. Hello, little child. He went method. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, I'm the biggest bird of all. Oh God. No, but I in, know now what I have to do. In this in this lightly entertaining yep. movie with uh Adam Driver and Daniel Radcliffe as best friends, Adam Driver over the course of the movie meets and falls in love with Mackenzie Davis. And it is like one of my favorite on screen romances. Like those two like convincingly sell it as two lunatics who recognize like a similar vein of craziness in each other. No. And I really like it. Well, one day we'll figure out what the title of that movie no, is. Like, and I'll, I'll, it to no, because all I think think of us as is all of my best friends are very short ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes the cream abdul jabbar story <laughs> adam driver plays adam, too. <laughs> adam driver plays cream abdul jabbar it is very method Oh, I feel a migraine coming on. <laughs> he gets the purse with yes. the hair. All yes. right. That's enough picking on him. Driver okay. right now. <laughs> All right. So lastly, we were going to talk about some of the movies we, we have I, been. Th- that's just a cough because, you know. We've been talking. Yeah. And your drink is almost empty. So, yeah. Oh, so we have gosh. to wrap this up soon. Before the DT. The, the funny juice is leaving me. <laughs> say before the bats return. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> what we've been doing is watching movies at home, of course. Um, yes. Like the, like the, like the quarantine <laughs> Californians that we are. And one of the ways we have been, um, 
I would say, I think, I feel like handling is the wrong word because we're not healthcare professionals. We're not in the front lines. We're just schmucks who write in podcasts. Yeah. But one of the things we've been doing that's to been- To pass help, the time and yeah. to, keep, to keep a positive attitude. And to Let's keep our daughter's spirits up. Yeah. We've been watching a lot of old musicals. Fluffy Musical Club is what I'm calling it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, there is- we can recommend the usuals like singing in the rain or sure. funny face. Um, I would like to talk about the absolutely bonkers 1933 movie that took us two days to get through because we kept pausing it to shriek incredulously at the screen. Uh, I'm going to let you talk about that because I think I'm talking about that on another podcast. Okay. Another uh, podcast with a less beautiful coast. No, no, Shelly's very pretty. Mm. Um, but, we watched the 1933 Footlight Parade mm-hmm. with James Cagney, Joan Blondell, and um, a whole host of others whose names I don't remember. Um, uh, we, Ruby Keeler, oh, isn't it? Uh, right, Ruby Dick, Keeler. Dick Powell, uh, uh, Guy Kibbe, I believe, yeah. is the, the big fat bald guy yeah. who's in every uh, musical that comes out that time as a big fat bald guy. Anyway, the premise is that Jimmy Cagney is a song and dance man who makes his bones as the guy who pulls off something, what are they called? Preludes? Preludes, yes. Yeah, so and they are little, they're, they're supposed to be little live entertainment vignettes that take place on the screen before you see the movie. It takes place in the theater. Like when, yeah. when they're changing the reels in between movies, mm-hmm. they bring out little, uh, little, uh, acts. acts. Except Jimmy Cagney's are, uh, it, fantastical. And, um, bananas by by the end of it we're talking like multi-story hotels with one of the creepiest numbers i've ever seen committed to film and i include suspiria and eyes wide shut <laughs> um, when it comes to psychosexual drama and um in probably a busby berkeley choreographed uh water ballet mm-hmm. and then um one of the more breathtakingly racist uh uh, set pieces mm. uh, that centers around a whore- Shanghai, Shanghai Lil centers around a horrid port. Um, but one of the well, one of the good things about watching Shanghai Lil, and I guarantee if you see that will be etched indelibly on your mental retinas, is that when once you see that the um, no dames scene from the Coen Brothers movie, uh, uh, Hail Caesar, Hail Caesar makes a whole lot more sense. Yes, but we watch Footlight Parade. It is basically a it's a fascinating movie in a lot of respects. The first reason I found it fascinating is because they're still pacing it like it's a vaudeville show. Right. And they don't give any space in the script to let laughter build or breathe. And I get the sense that that worked in a vaudeville environment, but it doesn't work on film. Mm -hmm. Um, The second reason I find it absolutely fascinating is because um, it's a really transitional time in filmmaking where like we said they're learning how to make films as a separate medium from stage or from vaudeville and it's about a transition what what is arguably a trans a transitional form of entertainment because the reason prologues were there was to keep audiences that were used to thinking of good entertainment values live performers like the prologues were there to gently ease these people into the idea that movies are equally valid as a form of live entertainment right and so you've got a a movie made during a transitional period in filmmaking about a transitional form of entertainment Mm -hmm. and um it is but it's it's absolutely bonkers and 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 it's a fascinating thing about early musicals in that um, all of the numbers are stacked towards the end. All of them are stacked towards the end. The middle is where you have the story. And this yeah. this is true in Footlight Parade. Mm-hmm. It's true in Gold Diggers of 1933. Yeah. It's true in 42nd Street. Basically, mm-hmm. any any musical that came out prior to Wizard of Oz, yeah. uh, um, which intersperses the songs throughout and is more recognizable a- as a musical today. But these early musicals are all... 
there's an opening number and then a story and yeah. then the like five numbers in a row, yeah. each more fantastical and crazier than the last. Yeah. But this movie has like an insane number of subplots because mm -hmm. it has. Um, I'm just going to reel them off and I'm going to rely. You can still count. Your glass yeah. is not empty yet. Exactly. Um, so it's got the Ruby Keeler makeover plot. Mm -hmm. It's got the kept boy becomes a known independent man plot. Yep. It's got the scheming divorcee um, moves in and out of Jimmy Cagney's life plot. Mm -hmm. It's got the scheming second fiance moves in and out of Jimmy Cagney's life plot. Mm -hmm. It's got the lovelorn secretary plot. I was about to it's say. It's got the bookkeeping. Um, they're trying swindles to cheat, Jimmy, Jimmy they're trying plot. To cheat poor Jimmy Cagney out of his money. It's got the um, it's got the prologue espionage plot. Mm -hmm. It's got the we need to nail down the big contract plot. Yeah, and it's got and it's got the we're going to put on a show even with all these crazy things going on. So that's nine separate plots that they juggle over the course of an hour and a half, and very nearly all of them get resolved. Oh, and there's also the the bad nepotistic hires plot. That's ten separate plots mm -hmm. that they juggle over the course of an hour and a half, and um, they all almost all they all get resolved. They all get paid off. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. unbe it's unbelievably tight in terms of narrative structure. But we just kept stopping to pause it. Also, it's pre code, and the way you can tell is they based like this 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 movie is like six speaking parts and then like a cast of a thousand dancers mm. and all of those poor women are basically dressed in chiffon and backlit the whole time everyone every female in that cast caught a cold let's put it that way oh my god because there there is a there is a lack of costuming like russ meyer was like could you maybe put some clothes on yeah, those put, a, put on a shawl yeah <laughs> I'd like. I, I, at this point, I've I've just seen so much. I feel like if you covered some ankles, I might get uh, yeah. interested again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was one of the movies we watched. We mm -hmm. watched Forty Second Street, which was not the movie. It version. was a West End revival that's, that's streaming that, on PBS right it's now. It's available through the PBS app, so you yeah. can probably find it. Because uh, the the movie musical version mm -hmm. of Forty Second Street is much more dour. And yeah. again, has all the numbers at the end and has a subplot where uh, the producer of the show, the director of the shows is actually like dying. Oh, <laughs> so whereas this he's he's just a jerk. Yeah. And um, that I think has been my favorite thing that we've watched thus far. Yeah. We, and then we made the bad mistake of tailoring one of the selections to the St. Patrick's Day holiday. And we, and we watched Finian's Rainbow, uh, truly one of the. Uh, uh, worst musicals ever put on. So film. this actually, um, in addition, well, not in addition, but mm -hmm. watching one of the worst musicals committed to film with an elderly Fred Astaire. Yeah. Um, reminds me of another observation I've been half kicking around in the recesses of my mind, mm -hmm. which are that some actors you don't mind seeing grow old or you really like it because you like watching how they go from being a beautiful young man like Peter O'Toole mm -hmm. to, um, playing you know old guy parts where it's like oh i've lived hard and made mistakes and here i am in the sunset of my years trying to pass pass along wisdom and blah 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 like there's actors and actresses where you like that you know i, I genuinely enjoy seeing helen miller in age for example yeah, sure. um watching michelle pfeiffer like when we saw oh we, we watched murder on the orient express with our daughter and watching michelle pfeiffer in that and I was just so glad to see her. And I'm so glad, like, she v looks vaguely in her age range. Mm -hmm. And she's not trying to play the same parts that she played back in the 80s. And then there are some actors or actresses where, because of the nature of their performance or because of the of how they broke in big, when you see them, you just get sad. Yeah. Like, and 
I was reminded of this because my, my go-to example before this had always been Michael York, because in the early 1970s, Michael York looked like Michelangelo had carved him from marble. Like Michelangelo had- This like, is your Logan's Run, Three yeah. Musketeers, Four Musketeers, Michael York. And um, um, Cabaret. Cabaret. Sure. Like like basically, Michael Michael York was beautiful. He looked like he was carved out of marble. And, and, and oh, like there was no bad angle for Michael York. The light would fall on his face and instantly the light was golden. And you're like- wow, I did not know male beauty was an actual thing, but there it is. Mm-hmm. And like, then I saw him in Austin Powers and I'm all, ah! <laughs> <laughs> <What the? laughs> Someone pulled a pin. No, it was, it was like his face melted. Yeah, exactly. And, no, and and this is not to say, I'm sure Michael York is a lovely human being or, mm-hmm. or, or maybe he's not, I don't know. But, you know, he's lived a life. I'm sure there are people who love him. He's still talented, but... Like the reason he broke out big in my head was gone. Yeah. And that is it with me and Fred Astaire, where when Fred Astaire is young, he is basically just a bundle of fast twitch nerve fibers and syncopation. And it's a joy to watch because it's otherworldly. And there's this, this real quality of spring springiness and youth to it. And then when you see him as an old man, it's just like, ah, this feels wrong somehow. It, it is also, um, the problem with that movie is compounded by the fact that the uh, studio producing it decided midway through, mm-hmm. we're going to make it a roadshow. And um, I'm reading a book currently on mm-hmm. the roadshow movies by Matthew Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good book. Um, it's called Roadshow, the it's fall called- of film musicals in the 1960s. Yes, it is. It's right here. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Part if you don't know what roadshows are, basically it was back then they'd release the movie in one theater in one city, and it would show two times a day, and you'd go and there'd be a program, and it would be a big event. And to make it a big event, they'd film the they'd make the movies like two and a half, three hours long. Mm-hmm. There'd be an intermission, uh, and they shoot it in 70 millimeter well finian's rainbow was originally shot in 35 millimeter because it was going to be a uh, more modest production mm-hmm. and oh no we're making it a roadshow blow it up to 70 millimeter and to do that they ended up cutting off fred astaire's feet in a number of dance scenes so not only do you have this this guy who's who's you like, oh god the icy hand of death is yeah. creeping over your head like mm-hmm. you can't even see his feet no it, it, it's basically i want to see fred astaire's beautiful dance steps i just see his his shins Yes, his shuffling name. along. Yeah, and so yeah. And this is not to say that Fred Astaire wasn't just an athletic marvel into his later years. This no, is, it, this is the dude who broke his arm when Michael Jackson taught him how to how to skateboard. Skateboard, yeah. So you know, it, it's just it's just weird, man. No, it's it, it's that, and um, the original Finian's Rainbow debuted on Broadway in the 1940s yeah. at a time when it's hey, wouldn't it be radical if we didn't judge people by the color of their skin but the content of their character? Right, and by yeah. the time that makes it to the big screen, it's 1969, and we're shooting civil rights leaders, and yeah. and it's it's this this strange yeah. little fable. Well, there are some and, movies and, that feel dated, like right after yeah. they come out too. Yeah, for example, I remember my parents letting me watch Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh man, that was that was that was like dated like by the third act of the movie yeah no and um i actually felt that way but not feel that way but i should say like when brokeback mountain came out there was just this huge big deal about it and you watch it now and you're like it really is sad that there's closeted cultures but this is not yeah as groundbreaking as you seem to think it is yeah exactly so So anyhow don't watch finian's rainbow i guess Mm -hmm. is the the point is the takeaway yeah Mm mm-hmm 
No. So, and and I'll throw this out there. If anyone has some suggestions for musicals you'd like us to see during mm-hmm. this uh, extended in-house period, uh, I'm More all ears. We have them, yeah. I'm all ears because I'll uh, I'll watch a musical any day of the week. Mm-hmm. I'm never watching Hello Dolly with Barbara Streisand again. No, that is unpleasant. We watched that once in 1999. Ugh, yes. I still retain memories of watching. Uh, Mathau, Walter Mathau tried a faint interest in Barbara Streisand. Well, again, in this book, uh, Roadshow, they, they, there, there's a reason for that lack of on-screen chemistry, and that they, they loathed each other. Well, see, Deborah Winger and Richard Gere reportedly loathed each other on the set of An Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah, but they managed to, yeah, uh, put it together. For we've already podcasts about movies that have endings that are much better than they deserve to be, right? Yeah. Okay. I think so. All right, there. We've there. We've discussed An Officer and a Gentleman. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess it's time for me to carry you out of this factory while uh, your loveless friend cheers. Love, Way to go, Lisa. Love lift us up where we belong. And I, no, I can't do my. Uh, who's the guy? The Everly. It's, the, it's Joe Cocker. It's Joe Cocker, right? It's Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warren. Joe Cocker. I was getting them confused with the Ever Everly brother who sings in Ghost. Or the righteous brother. That's the righteous. The righteous brother. All the all the brothers. And then it's Bill Medley singing with Jennifer Warren yes. in Dirty Dancing. Yes. Um, yes. No. Joe Cocker. This is where we belong. I know. I haven't eaten fruit for twenty years. Well, if he did, he loses. Oh God, my career. <laughs> if he did, he loses golden voice. Yes. <laughs> I'd give anything for a fig. All right, guys. Um, <laughs> if you have any suggestions, please let us know on the member Slack or yeah. on the member Facebook page, or you can hit us up on Twitter. I am at L S C H M E I S E R. Phil is on Twitter at P- at, at Philip Michaels. Mm-hmm. One L. I will not respond to any DMs. Oh. I will take no questions. <laughs> okay. And uh, we're all in this together, I guess. Yes, we are. Yes. All right. <laughs>